0: Amen. Good morning. God bless you. Praise and worship was exceptional. Always great, but it was so good. God's presence was so so real. Amen. Bless the praise team, worship team, musicians, singers. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, Facebook. All those joining us by Facebook. Amen. It costs $20 to watch it. Send it in. Hallelujah. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about something called grace and truth. Bible says in John chapter 1 and 14 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. I started to entitle this, he was full of it. I was afraid that would rile up the religious. But Jesus was full of it, full of grace, full of truth. There are some folks that think that truth means the law. That's not what it means at all. There are some people say, well, you've got to balance grace and truth. That's, that's like trying to separate wet from water. It's impossible. Jesus is grace. Jesus is truth, can't separate it. John 14 calls him the word. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then 14 says, that word that was already in heaven with God, was God, became flesh. And he dwelt, tabernacled is the word among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Some, I read some while back that preachers that emphasize God's grace, his goodness, his love, his mercy like I do. Someone made a comment. They said, you, uh, you grace preachers, you make it sound like there's a fourth member of the Trinity called grace. Uh, no, there's not a fourth member of the Trinity. It's still one God. God the Father, Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But what we're simply saying is that God gives us his grace through his Son. And his Son is Jesus. And when Jesus came, he came full of grace from the one who sits on a throne of grace. And so if there is no Jesus, N-O-Jesus, there is no N-O-Grace. But if you K-N-O-W, if you know Jesus then you know grace because Jesus is grace. Amen. Now, most of us know that, that, uh, Pilate, when they were going through their trial of Jesus, he made this statement in John 18 and 38. He just simply said to Jesus, what is truth? Jesus was standing there as truth personified. And Pilate said, what is truth? But he walked away. He didn't even wait for an answer. It just says he turned and And went out again to the Jews. And then Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, that you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll make you free. All right, but it's not truth that makes you free. Not just truth out there, it's truth that you know. So you have to know it. And then once you personally know that truth, then that truth has just set you free, it's made you free. And then Jesus told us and defined real clear, and I'm going to let you sit down, what truth is in John 17 and 17. This was his last prayer on earth that he prayed to his father before he went to the cross. And Jesus said, your word is truth. So he told us real clearly what truth is. He said, if you know this truth, it will make you free. And then he said, your word is truth. The Bible is truth. If the Bible is the word of God, the Bible doesn't contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. If men could have eliminated the Bible, they would have done it thousands of years ago, but they've not been able to do it. And so Jesus said, the word is truth. Your word, God. That's the truth that sets people free. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you as we approach your word today. We bless you. Thank you for your manifested presence in here today. Oh, it's so good to serve a God that loves us and that we can feel. We don't go by feelings, but we sure like them. God bless you for loving us. We thank you for the word of God that sets men and women free. Let that freedom be manifested in their lives today. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Now look over at somebody before you sit down, smile real big, tell them you're looking so good this morning. Now, let me just say this to to us. Um, You know, just because we're believers doesn't mean we don't have problems, right? And most all of our problems can be traced back to us believing a lie. The reason a Christian sins after being born again is because in that moment of decision, they choose to believe a lie and sin instead of believe God, believe his word. Now, they could sin because they're ignorant of his word, but they, they choose to believe a lie. And so I could spend the whole morning going through examples. I won't do that in the Old Testament where, and when you say believe a lie about what? I'm talking about believing a lie about yourself, how God sees you. Believing a lie about how other people see you. Believing a lie about the Bible, believing a lie about marriage, believing a lie about money, about time. I mean, you can just fill in the blanks. And so, what God's word, the Bible says that the entrance of thy word, Jesus, remember, he said the word is truth. The Bible says the entrance of your word brings light, it brings revelation, it brings illumination. So, in the Old Testament, there's stories I won't turn there for the sake of time. So, you can believe a lie about yourself. And if listen, if you believe a lie about yourself, but you, you don't know it's a lie, you think it's the truth. But then you will behave accordingly. It will affect your behavior. It will affect what you do. Uh, it will cause you to be into to oppression, depression, despair, hopelessness, all because we believe lies. So um, there's a guy in the Bible, he's pretty famous. Y'all ever heard of Elijah? And when, listen, when I say Elijah, what do you think about Just just say something. He prayed fire down, right? Mount Carmel. He's the guy that prayed down fire. And so they have a competition, so to speak, at at this mountain, at Mount Carmel, where the false uh, prophets of Baal are praying to their God. And here comes Elijah. And he says, let let the God that answers by fire be God. Serve him. And so he lets them go first. And nothing happens. And they do all kind of weird stuff. I mean, they cut themselves, they, they do all kind of stuff, and, and nothing ever happens. Now, Christians, sometimes out of ignorance, do a lot of weird stuff. And you may not cut yourself, but you put yourself through kind of suffering or something and, and, and some kind of penance because you think if you pay a price, even a physical price, that, you know, that you're, you, God likes you better or you're closer to God. It's ridiculous. So don't judge them too harshly because I know a lot of Christians that do that and worse. Trying to earn the favor of God, but then he prays down fire, and it's it's a, it's a great awesome event, and 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 actually he pulls a sword. You talk about Rambo. Elijah kills four hundred prophets with his own with a sword, right? One guy. I mean, how can one guy kill four hundred people? They're standing in line just waiting to get. You know, what I mean, if four hundred people is rushing, you look like man. That's. So all I'm, my point is there's got to be some supernatural help going on, right? So he does that. He has a, he has a, he has a great day. Okay. Now we've got Jezebel and, and Ahab is ruling Israel. Okay. So she gets word that all of her false prophets have been killed. She's not happy. This is all, the the, the praying and the fire downs in 1 Kings chapter 18, you, you can check it out later. But in 1 Kings 19 is when she's got the news that her prophets have been killed by this prophet Elijah. So she sends a messenger to him and tells him, essentially this, set your clock, dude, because within 24 hours of right now, you'll be dead. And I've taken an oath for that. Now, the Bible says something interesting. Listen to me. It says, when Elijah saw that. He ran for his life. He didn't say when he heard it. What do you see when somebody tells you something? When the doctor says you have cancer, do you you automatically see your funeral? Do you see your death? What do you see? See, words have power to paint pictures. And when Elijah heard her threatening words... Now, here's a guy that killed 400 men, but he scared of one woman. He didn't run from 400 men, but he now runs from one woman. That doesn't make sense, right? And where did he run? He ran to a cave. And listen to me. My point with all that little bit, and it's all in the Word of God, listen to me, is because we miss this point in the Bible. Resident within him. Is a lie that he believes about himself. And that lie that he believes about himself has made him vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Now listen to me. Most people miss this, but before he ever went to Mount Carmel, which was a good day, you agree? Pray and fire down, that's a good day. God's got to work with you on that one, okay? All right, and so here we got a God who is still helping him. Manifesting through him, even though he believes a lie about himself, because God's good. And probably all of us, including the one talking, believe still things about ourselves, about the Bible, about God that's not totally true. And so we're all learning. That's one reason we're sitting here today. That's that's the reason God gave us the Holy Spirit, who is not only our comfort, but he's also called our teacher. And he's bringing us into a fuller revelation of who God is and this God of grace that sits on the throne of grace. Now listen, so he's got a lie. Now, I hope you maybe already know what the lie is. But this lie causes him to behave in a certain way. So when he hears that, that uh, Jezebel is coming to kill him, it is my opinion based on the Bible that I believe that when he killed all of her prophets of Baal, false prophets, he thought revival had come to Israel. He thought he would find Ahab the king and Jezebel his wife laying dormant, a prostate on the ground saying, the Lord God of Israel is God and he's the true God and, you know, let's have revival or whatever. But she didn't. It actually made her more obstinate in her heart, more rebellious. And so listen, to, listen this is the point. Things didn't turn out like he thought they would turn out. You ever have things in your life that didn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out? I told my wife just two days ago, I said, man, I wish I was 25 years old and know what I know now. I'd be heaven on wheels. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I'm talking about in all areas. But it don't work that way. So you have to take where you are now and go forward. So he believed the lie, and this was the lie. Let's just cut right to it. He believed, and he said over and over, I am the only one left. So he felt the weight and the pressure, i got to get it done by myself. If I don't get it done, it's not going to happen. A lot of men, women, have made that mistake of thinking that if they didn't do whatever that was needed to be done, it wouldn't, I mean, the world was going to crash. No, it won't. I've seen preachers worldwide evangelists say, if I don't win, you know, the, you know this, I remember hearing them say it with my own ears. This man, if I don't win America, then it won't be won. I knew then we was on a bad train. You mean God's based everything just on this one guy? No. I'm sorry, you're not that important. You're valuable, but you're not that important. Think too highly of yourself. So he believed the lie, I'm the only one. And when she didn't, you know, bow down to the God of Israel, then he got really depressed and he went into a cave. What cave are you in? Cave of despair, cave of depression. I mean, what, what's got you in the cave? Now, God, God's not mad with him because he's in the cave, and God really lovingly comes to him and tries to work with him over a period of time. God comes to him and says, where are you? What, why, you know, look where you are, in other words. It's like when God walked in the garden after the Adam and Eve sinned, God says, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't because he didn't know where he was. He's trying to get Adam to see where you are, naked and hiding. You're hiding from the guy that you used to walk with every day. You walked with me yesterday, right? And today you're hiding from me. What, what changed? Did I change or did you change? Did I do something or did you do something? See, God doesn't change. And so now he's saying, what are you, what are you in this cave? And then so he, he's got his misery speech rehearsed. So he starts and tells God, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. I'm the only one. And I thought we could get it done and we didn't get it done. And I'm depressed and I don't want to talk about nothing. I want to die. Well, he didn't really want to die. Now, there's times we've said we want to die, and we didn't really want to die. We just want some help. Because if Elijah really wanted to die, all he had to do was go hunt down Jezebel. She'd kill him. (laughs) Now, he's sitting there telling God over and over, I want to die. Well, get up and go to Jezebel. She's, She's waiting on you. If you wanted to die, you would run to Jezebel. You went to a cave, you know, hundreds of miles away from it. You don't really want to die. You're just talking Stupid things right now because you're hurting, you're afraid, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're depressed, you're oppressed, you're not speaking correctly right now. You're not thinking right. So God says take a nap. Sometimes the best thing you can do for despair you're in is just take a nap. Go to sleep, rest, right? You know some of your worst battles that hit you is hit you when you're the tiredest physically I'm talking about. Man, you get worn out physically, and then something happens. Man, you can't handle it. Not very well. So literally, I'm, I'm just going through this in the Bible. He says, take a nap. And then he, God comes back to him again. He says, Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? Elijah does the same thing. Oh, I'm the only one left. I'm here. You know, I, you know, I am no better than my fathers. I thought I could get it done. I want to die. God said, here, here's some, uh, something to drink and something to eat. I'll check with you later. It just gives him a, It gives him food. Sometimes you just need to, to eat right, eat good. Now symbolically, it can be a lot of things. The water was the word of God, spirit of God, God's word. Get in God's word. Just rest. Lay in bed. Read the Bible. Do what you. Come on, y'all. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody now. Listen. And then God. And, he, and why don't God just tell him the truth? Because you know it's like that movie. You can't handle the truth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's where a lot of America is. They can't handle the truth. Not, 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 not the real truth. No, they can't handle it. But he says, he comes to him a third time Son, what you doing in the cave, but God, I'm the only one. And he goes through the whole mess again. You get tired of hearing it. You think God would just say, shut up. I'm sick of hearing it. But he doesn't. It's real kind to him. God gives him time to make his speech. And then God lays this truth bomb on him. God says, You're not the only one left. I've got 7,000 that's never bowed their knee to Baal one time. I can't wait to get to heaven to check that DVD out and watch Elijah's face change. <laughs> I believe he's like, I thought I was the only one left. You got 7,000? My bad. I didn't know, I didn't know... I didn't know you had 7,000 besides me. I thought it was all on. No, it ain't all on you, dude. I got 7,000 besides you. You know what Elijah did? He immediately got up. He wasn't depressed no more. He wasn't sad no more. God says, now that you're up, go anoint a man named Elisha and find him and anoint him for the work of the Lord. So he just got up and walked out of the cave and went back to business. Don't tell me you can't change your mood by what you believe. Man, if somebody showed up at your house this afternoon with one of them big giant checks and a handful of roses, (laughs) I don't care how sad you were five minutes before your doorbell rang. (laughs) And at that moment, that ain't even a real check you can carry to the bank, but you would be just acting the fool (laughs) because based on what you believe, based on what you believe, now, belief is important, but we need to teach people that it's more than what they believe because we are living in really what they call a postmodern culture and which simply says this, that everything today is relative and uh, tolerance is the new excuse for everybody to reject right and wrong. And basically, there's no more right, there's no more wrong, just do whatever feels good to you. And people say all kinds of things. They say, well, if it's true for me, then it's true. Might not be true for you, but this is true for me. And if it's true for me, and it, then it's right for me. And who are you to question? Um, you know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, you're just being intolerant of another view or other people. So, uh, you know, and, and we're we're way past now political correctness. You got to be tolerant of everything. No, that listen, there's still things that are right. And there's still things that are wrong. Grace is all on top of us, but it doesn't change. Right or wrong? Now, is it right or wrong to run a red light? It's wrong. Because you can hurt yourself and you can hurt other people. There's things that are, that are right and there's things that are wrong. Now, what you got going on today is this big thing, and it's been real popular, you know, that the argument is there are no absolutes. There's nothing absolute, there's no such thing as an absolute truth, and there certainly is no such thing as an absolute morality. Well, let's take the first statement. See, because if you don't know what's true, you're going to behave in some weird way. See, Elijah believed a lie about himself, and it really it, it caused him to be depressed and begging to die. I wonder what's causing you to beg to die and be depressed. What lie are you believing There's another story about a na- man named David. You ever heard of him? And he had a guy he went in covenant with named Jonathan. Remember him? It's Jonathan's the son of Saul, the king of Israel. Now, God, because way Saul did, he rejected him as far as a leader of Israel, chose David, a man after his own heart, to be the leader. But just because God had his hand on David didn't mean Saul gave up the throne. So, during that 13 years of interim from the time that David was first anointed by Samuel to be king until he actually possessed the throne, uh, Saul told all of his people, everybody that would listen to him, lies about David. He said, David's brutal. David's harsh. If David gets his way, he'll kill everybody in this house. I'm talking about the palace, I'm talking about King Saul's house. And the house, he'll kill all of you. And so one day, you know, you got you got Saul King. Saul, his son is Jonathan. Are y'all with me? And then Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. Can y'all say that? Mephibosheth. Don't name your kid Mephibosheth. <laughs> so he's got a kid named Mephibosheth. Listen, he's five years old. He's five years old. He's got a, a nurse you know, what they call in the Bible, in other words, he has a caretaker, live-in nanny, whatever you want to call her, but she's there to take care of Mephibosheth in the palace. They live in the palace under the rule of Saul. But King Saul dies in battle that day, and so does his son. Word comes back to the palace that King Saul has been killed, and so has Jonathan, and David is marching to the palace, to Israel. What she does in because of what she believes, which is a lie, but a lie will make you behave certain ways. She grabs up Mephibosheth. Now she's his caregiver. She's supposed to protect him. She's supposed to care for him. She's supposed to love him. She's supposed to protect him. She grabs him in her haste. The Bible said, and she runs with him, and she trips and falls. And she falls on him and breaks both of his legs. Now, back in those days, they don't have orthopedics and CAT scanners and MRIs and all that stuff. And so he's crippled, the Bible says, from that day forward. He can't walk. Listen, a person that was supposed to care for him hurt him. You said not intentionally. I understand that. But you've got to understand there's a lot of five-year-olds in this world that are hurt by people that are supposed to care for them. There's five-year-olds that have been molested by a family member that was supposed to care for them, not molest them. Those are some of the hardest hurts, and it just changes everything. There's people that have hurt people, and just like this lady in the Bible, she didn't mean to hurt him, but she hurt him anyway. But it doesn't matter whether you mean to hurt him or you didn't mean to hurt him, you still end up with two broke legs and a paralyzed boy, and that's the reality of it. And also, there's a lie that caused that. If she hadn't believed the lie, she wouldn't have picked him up and run out of fear. Anything that you and I do out of fear is never good. I've done stupid things out of fear. Y'all pray for me. I'm trying to be as smart as you. Remember, I've done things. Like, you need to buy that because if you don't, somebody is going to get it. That's not faith. That's fear. Stupid decisions. Somebody else can get it out from under me. It wasn't mine in the first place. I ain't worried about it. Let's go on down the road. There's more land on earth besides that one spot. Okay? David does come to the palace. He does set up his kingdom. And then he says, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I can do kindness to? And somebody says, there's one uh, of uh, King Saul's grandchildren named Mephibosheth. But he lives way out in the, in the wilderness in a place called Lodibar. That's the name of it, Lodibar. Is, he lives in a shack out there alone. David says, go get him, that I may show him kindness. See, David is a symbol of God. And a lot of us are hiding and living in really bad situations because we've been lied to about the kindness and the goodness and the grace of our God. We've been and told God's a God that wants to get you, that's going to pay you back, make you pay for your sins. Listen, dude, you could never pay for one of your sins. Because if you could, you'd be Jesus, and you ain't. I've met him. It ain't you. You can't pay for your sins. How can you pay a bill that's already paid for you got here? When did Jesus pay for sin? 2,000 years ago. He actually had it paid for before then because Revelation said he's the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. So this is not a plan B that God's working on here. God's always had one plan. And so you got to understand that, that if you don't know the truth, you're going to behave in ways like that that gets people hurt. David sends from Mephibosheth, long story short, he just brings him to the palace. He says, from this day forward, you will sit at my table, and you will eat the king's delicacies. And by the way, all the land and everything that belonged to your family, I have saved it for you. It's yours. Now you're the caretaker of all the land, and it's all yours. I, all the money that was your yeah, you, I just been, it's in the bank. It's yours now. See, that's the kindness, goodness. Hey, that's called grace. And, and so, so now what we've got is people say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Really? Well, let me tell you something. That statement that there is no such thing as absolute truth is an absolute statement. It is a self-defeating statement. It's an oxymoron. And so you've got to understand truth, there are truth that only have one right answer. Two plus two equals what? It's never going to equal five and it's never going to equal 30. So there's only one answer that is correct for that question two plus two equals four. That's an absolute truth. Years ago, there was a talk show and it was about being politically correct and there was a bunch of speakers on there, but they brought in one conservative person just to have something to gnaw on. It was a lady. So they're just sitting there just wearing it out about relative, you know, there's no absolute truth and all that kind of stuff. And she was just sitting there, and I remember she said this to the, all, the, the, all these people that were talking and had one person moderating it, and it was really let's just jump on, you know, the conservative thinking people. And she said, I want to ask you all a question. You, you said there is no absolute truth, and they said absolute. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, you know, absolute truth. <laughs> they go, absolutely. So stupid. She said, when is rape okay when is it okay to rape a woman none of them said a word they just looked around silence she said so by your silence i'm going to assume that it is never proper to rape someone at any time on any continent in any place, in any situation, it is never proper to rape a person. That is an absolute truth. They didn't say anything else. See, because it's just a game in our heads. You've got to understand that Jesus claims that his fa- the word of God is truth. So what, what we have to do is we have to remind people. Is that it doesn't matter what they believe as much as what the truth it really is. Now, we need to get people to think about truth rather than just to get them to think about what they believe. Because I know people that believe a lot of stuff, you know. I mean, you may believe there's little green men on Mars, and somebody else may believe that there's purple women on Mars. But it really doesn't matter what we believe about Mars. All that matters is what's truth about Mars. It's not what you believe. But your belief will affect what you do, your behavior. And so what's the most important lesson that you've ever learned in your life? You ever think of, I mean, what, you know, if you're getting a little bit of, like me, getting a little age on I me, mean, what, what do you want to leave to your kids or your grandkids? Man, when I look at those grandkids of mine in their faces, man, I want to make an impact. I mean, I, I can't even tell you. I didn't even know there was that kind of level of love available until <laughs> I had grandkids. It's just, I just, I don't have words for it. If you don't have them, you just, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. Get you some. <laughs> A lot of work in it too, but good work. But what's your one big truth that you would like to leave to somebody that's following you? Um, you know your big truth is that thing you cling to. It's, um, it's it's that thing that's like your backbone that that helps you to stand and, and it's also that that truth that helps you to have peace to sleep at night. Um, when you talk to Christians, particularly, they there's a lot of truths and, and a lot of them will say the big truth for them is this or that. And, and I, I just, I picked out what I thought like, you know, four real popular ones. And, and one is obedience. Uh, some, some Christians, their big truth is I just want to obey the Lord. I just, obedience is, is it. And, and the most important thing for me to do is obey God. Uh, other Christians say, well, it's your attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. And, and so the most important thing is to make a good effort and because God knows our heart and just try hard. Another real popular one is sacrifice. Uh, The most important thing is to give God our best. Uh, He's already given us so much. We need to serve him and and give him our best. And so there's his, his sacrifice. And then another real popular one is I just want to bear fruit for God. I want to be fruitful in my life, and that's the most important thing to me. Because if I bear much fruit, then I'm proving to everybody that I'm his disciple. Now, listen to me. None of those things I just mentioned of those four things are evil. None of those things are bad. But that's not my big truth. I'm not signing up for any of them. Because the difficulty that I have with them is all of those things that I named depends on me. It depends on my obedience, my attitude, my sacrifice, my fruit bearing. And I just don't have that much faith in Dale. Dale, I know him too well. You don't know him like I know him. And so the faith that I have, my faith is not of me. It was gifted to me. And, and my faith is not in me, but my faith is in someone else, and his name is Jesus. And, so, and that's the big truth. Now, here, here comes how I would just to put it in, a, in, a, in an expression. God, this, is, this is the big truth for me. And it didn't used to be my big truth, but this is my big truth. God loves me with an unfailing love. That's my big truth. That I I spent decades as a Christian and as a preacher trying to love God. I I remember going to to so many churches. The church I was raised in normally would begin every service like this. The pastor would. How many of you love the Lord today? How many of you ain't going to come back to church on Sunday night tonight? (laughs) How many ain't going to give a dime to the church? How many love the Lord You see how them hands work? It's just a game. And I was raised on, how many of you love the Lord? But nobody ever walked to the pulpit and said, how many of you know beyond all shadows of doubt that you are loved by the Lord? You wouldn't see near the hands go up. But that's the key. It's it's hard to stand on your tippy toes to love God. There's a reason that many don't like God, much less love him. It's because of all the lies that's been told about him. Well, the Lord's in control of everything that happens on earth. We don't understand it. Just accept it. Lie, lie, lie. Pants on fire. God's not in control of everything. If it is, stop prosecuting murderers because God's behind it. Stupid. God's in charge, but he's not in control. Buy my book if you want more on that. Look, that's the first chapter, by the way. Miss in church. Misheard heard in church. Um, but God's love is unfailing. And, and listen to me. Every, listen, every form of love that you and I will ever experience in this world is a failing love. It breaks. It, it, it breaks, It wounds. It'll disappoint you, and eventually it will die. Human love is inherently brittle. It, It is. Let me say it like this: You were never, you and I were never designed to live off of human love. That's why some of you hurt so bad because you're trying to live off of it. You're trying to live off the love of a spouse, live off the love of a person. You, 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 you were never designed to live off of that. Never. There's only one love, and, and I'm, there's only one love that's perfect love. Now, the Bible says perfect love does what? Cast out what? How much fear? All fear. But that's not your love. Because none of our love for God, even or for one another, is perfect. But God's love is perfect love. God's love is perfect. So so the Bible says in Jeremiah, and they sung about it. They talked about it. Demisha talked about it. She made some of the same quotes. She even said, because I listened to what she said, she said that God's love is everlasting. I happen to have that verse in my notes, Jeremiah 31 and 3. Jeremiah said it's an everlasting love. God's love never, never, never. Ever, ever fails. Love does not fail because the love that it's talking about is God's love. People's love will fail you. You will fail loving people. You'll say to someone, I gonna love you to the day I die. You, you and the devil is a lie. Because you didn't. I've had people told me, they said, Pastor, and I've had them stand up in church. I, I, and I've had, Pastor, the only way I'd ever leave this church is they'd carry me out feet first in a box. Well, they lied. They left me. They left the church, and they didn't go out in the box. They walked out on their own two legs because I'm out of here because something happened that they didn't like. It's always the people that in my ministry, and I, and I and I and I mentor pastors and leaders, have been doing that for, for so many years. And it's always the people that 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 says, I, I will never leave you. You're my spiritual father. I love you so much. I, and it's always one just about, and not all, but when, they, I, I mean, the list is full of people that write that check but can't cash it. I'd rather you just might say, I'm just going to hang around you and see what, you know, we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> um, Paul says, that it's a love that don't ever wear out because it's God's love. Paul said it like this. He said in Ephesians three nineteen, his love surpasses knowledge or knowing. In other words, your mind cannot grasp the extravagant magnitude of his love for you. Paul said it like this. He said his love in 1 Corinthians 13, God said, Paul said that God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, that's the honest to God truth. God doesn't love you with human love. God's not using human love to love you. He loves you, he loves you with an unconditional, listen, unconditional and unfailing and everlasting eternal love. And we can't even comprehend that, but that, that's who God. See, God, listen, God will never make you jump through hoops to earn his love. Now, I've said this so many times all of my life. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore then he loves you right now. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. When you was a sinner doing everything you can and calling his name in vain every other breath and cursing him, he loved you the same as he does now with a Bible in your lap. (laughs) We all say amen to that, but we don't want to believe that. See, because that's not the way it is in the world. You do good, we like you good. You do bad, we like you bad. God's not like us. God's not anything like us when it comes to love. God doesn't have love. God is love. God is love. And and that's all he has to give you because that's all he is. See, he loves you because he is loved. So, listen, his love for you is, listen, is unaffected by your obedience, your attitude, your sacrifice, or how much fruit you bear for him. It does not affect his love for you. Listen to this. He loves you so much. But as awesome as God's love for you is, it will have no effect on your life unless you personally know it. None. And it is knowing and being absolutely convinced about the truth of his love that sets you free from any kind of performance. Now, I want you to think about something that everybody should know about if you've ever hung around church or read the Bible at all. It was them, them, them two, two sons, the prodigal son and his brother. All right, now I want you to think about that story just a second. I'm not going we'll to go through much. I just want to mention a couple of things. His father loved the prodigal son The same at the beginning of the story as he does at the end. Right or wrong? Right. Right. No change. Now, his love was the same. But the prodigal didn't know the father's love until he was embraced in all of his smelliness by the father. You understand that when the father saw him, he ran for him and throwed his arms around him and kissed him on the neck. And he tried to start going through the whole repentant thing or whatever, and the father hushed him. Because you cannot buy, nor can you pay for the father's love. You cannot earn it. But the prodigal didn't know the father's love until he was in such a stinking mess, and he felt that embrace. That was when he began to get the revelation, this man really does love me. Because I'm sure before the prodigal son became the prodigal, The father wanted to hug that son every day, but the son wasn't interested in getting hugged by the father. God wanted to hug you, but you didn't want to be hugged by him. In fact, the son wished really that the father was dead so he could get his hands on the old man's money. He wasn't interested in no hugging. Later, he returned home because he thought he could earn Three squares and room and board by serving the Father and just make me like one to hire servants, he said. But what he learned was that the Father's love is not for sale. Now it was the same with the older brother. He he didn't know his father's love either. And his one big truth that the older brother believed in was obedience. Obedience. How do I know that? Because what he said. Now, he comes home, and the Bible says when his brother's there, they're throwing down and having a party with music and all that, and, and his brother comes in from the field. And he hears all the dancing going on and the music playing, and he asks him, what's going on up there? And he said, your brother's home. They are throwing a party. They killed the fatted calf daddy has. You know, it's just they're getting their party on. That's what you're hearing. The Bible said that the older brother was, was, was angry. He wouldn't go in. So the father came out. And he comes out to him, and this is what the older brother says. He he, he says, all these years I've been serving you, and I've never, this is what he said, I've never disobeyed you one time. And uh, he didn't know the father's love. If the younger brother was a rebel, that, that makes the older brother a religious man. And the father loved both of his sons, but neither one of those sons knew it. Now, Jesus said this one time to the Pharisees in John 5 and 42. He says, this is, He's talking to the Pharisees now. He says, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Y'all have been beat up with that sermon, that, I mean, the yeah, sermon, but it's a verse out of uh, 1 John, and it goes like this. I not remember, it's in that book, so you can find it short book. Do not love the world neither the things that be in the world. For he that loves the world, the love of the Father, is not in him. You know, I used to hear preachers preach that verse, and this is what they said when they got through quoting the verse or reading the verse. They said, our greatest need is for us to love God more. And if you just love God more, you would sin less and have less problems. Anybody ever heard it kind of go like that? Lie. It's not what the verse says. It does say, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the love of the world is not of the Father. For the world passes away, and all the lust thereof. But he that loves the world, the reason they love the world is because the love, not for, not for, the love of the Father is not in them. If they knew how much the Father loved them, there would be no way that they would love the world. Because the love of the world... See, when you read that, you always think of just things. But the love of the world... Don't love the world. And it's not about the love of the world. But when the love of the Father is in you... That's why when Satan tempted Jesus... God had just got through parting the heavens. He spoke audibly at the baptism of his son. And the father said where they all could hear it, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But when he leaves, everybody heard it. Now the Bible said some of those people said it. Ah, that wasn't God. That was thunder. Well, there's always going to be people like that that's going to attribute supernatural, spiritual things to natural explanation. So you, you just can't argue with people like that. I mean, but no, some other people said that wasn't thunder. That was God. Couldn't you hear that? I never heard thunder say, you are my beloved. I, mean, I that's what it said. You ever heard thunder say that? No, I don't think so. That was God. Now, everybody heard it, including the devil. So he's led the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested. And while he's there, Satan comes. Guess what the first thing that Satan challenges? Identity. He challenges that you're in love. And so it took me decades to ever see this in my Bible in plain print. But one day, 15, 20 years ago, I saw it. Satan said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. If you are the son of God, you know, but he didn't ask, he didn't quote it correctly. And I know most of you have heard me say this, but there's some listening that hadn't. He said, why didn't he say, if you are the beloved son of God? Because that's what God said. God didn't say, you're my son. God said, you're my beloved son. Be loved. Be loved. Why don't you let God love you? Why don't you be loved? Be loved. You are beloved. You are the beloved. You not had been loved, will be. You be loved. I know I'm tearing up the English, but I'm trying to make a point. Be loved. Why did Satan leave out that one word? Because it is only those Christians who do not know the truth of how much they are beloved by God that makes them a target for the temptation of the devil. If he can convince you that you're not loved by God, then he can bring all kind of problems into your thought life and all that kind of stuff. But when you know you're loved by God, like... If you're going to quote it, devil, quote it right. I am not just the son of God. I'm the beloved son. I'm God's favorite. God loves me the same. Well, you just sinned. God loves me the same. Did you hear what I said? God loves me the same. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. God loved you when you were dead. In trespasses and sin. He loved you the same then as he does now, saying hallelujah, praise God, and worship him with both hands up. He loves you the same. Don't ever believe the lie of religion because religion cannot give you what religion does not have. That's the love of God. Little old last verse, Jude. Jude chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 21, it says this, the latter part of that just says, says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves. Keep yourselves. Don't let nothing move you out of the love of God. Keep yourselves. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. That's what keeps you. The, the, The verse above that, it says, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's part of that sentence is, keeping yourself in the love of God. You just keep yourself there. You don't let nothing move you to the left or to the right, but you keep yourself in the love of God. You stay grounded, Paul called it, in the love of God. You stay secure in the love of God. You keep yourself there. Why? Because that's where you are. That's your portion. That's your position. That's your inheritance. That's your place. And when you keep yourself in that love, then you're not nearly as vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Because you know what? You know, no matter what, that you're loved by God. Now, let, let me tell you what happens to, to because we, we have people that preach other things to us. And, and this is what that, that Pharisee type thing that's why, when people will write stuff. You know, when I write stuff about the love and grace of God, man, here to come. Pharisees come out of the woodworks. But those people who preach religious duty and obligation, listen to me, they are unacquainted with the unfailing, unconditional love of God. They're unacquainted with it. Uh, this is why that they portray his love as conditional listen because listen they're preaching what they know they're preaching what they know or shall I say they're preaching what they believe now I just want to end with this how can you have unconditional love and have conditional forgiveness? How can I say I love you with aban- with total abandonment there's nothing yet I hold this against you. Does that make any sense? Now, there's Christians everywhere that will shout yes and amen to what Brother Dale preached, God's unconditional love. They'll go, amen, preach it. But if I follow that with God has unconditionally forgiven all of you, that's when you get the quietness. Now, how are you going to have unconditional love and conditional forgiveness? And this in itself is an entire sermon. But I see it every day of my life almost. And it's all the time. What do you think? What is it that brought or brings the forgiveness of God? What causes this God to forgive sin? There's only one thing that the Bible says that causes God to forgive sin. And that is the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of of blood, there is how much forgiveness, which means remission. There is how much? No remission of sin, no forgiveness, no balancing the books, none. Is it your blood that sheds that causes God to forgive you? Really? So without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Well, they shed animals' blood in the Old Covenant. But Hebrews says very clearly, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And had the blood of bulls and goats, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, taken away sin, they would have been no more need, nor shall there ever been another remembrance of that sin. But they continually come with animals, and therefore there is a continual remembrance of their sin. So what is it that causes this God to forgive you and me of sin. There's one thing that happened that caused God to forgive not just you, not just church folk, but the world of sin. And that's in the New Testament over and over, and I would to God we would read it and preach it. For behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. His precious blood Took away not only your sin, the Bible says, but the sin of the world. Sins that wasn't committed yet, took it away. Took it away. Didn't, didn't cover it, didn't store it up, didn't have it in a suitcase to pull it out when he needed it. Took it away. I told you some weeks ago, amazing thing happens at my house every Monday morning. Guys come with their truck, and I haul all of my rubbish to the curb, and they take it away. They've never brought one piece of it back. They took it away. Jesus came, took away the sin of the world. Now, what devil is bringing it back? They'll bring it back up, they'll talk about it, but Jesus took it away. Where did he take it? He said as far as the east is from the west. Y'all work that out on algebra and get back with me. He buried it where? The Bible says into the sea of forgetfulness, not into the sea of I'll store it there and the Holy Ghost will remember it and remind you of it. No. So he's not convicting you of your past sin. That's your conscience doing that. But that ain't your God. I don't think he's going to remind you of is what Jesus did for you. Believe in that and walk like it and live like it. Man, y'all just let me know when I start preaching. (laughs) So you live out of that. So this is what causes this God. Now, I know some of you, this is like, this is going down like the rat sandwich. I understand it. It's not going down good because you've heard too many lies about him. But you remember your little Christmas story? Shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, that's pretty, ain't it? Looks good on crib card. And the angels all of a sudden, and suddenly, there was a great host in the heavens saying, Glory to God on earth and peace and goodwill toward men. We've given away them Christmas cards and ain't got a clue what it means. We think that was some kind of Christmas card thing. God, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill, you know, among men. Or let's call for a ceasefire while we're killing one another over Christmas. Or let's try to be nice to each other because it's Christmas and all that stuff. It's just crazy. We were enemies with God because we rebelled against him through our daddy Adam. And we needed to be reconciled with God. And God said, there's nothing that they can do to reconcile with me. So therefore, I will reconcile their sin myself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world of their sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's what God did. And when God said, peace on earth, you didn't know what God said? I'm calling for a truce between me and their sin. I'm saying peace toward men. I will never be angry with them. And I I, I get so tired of my daddy being accused of being angry. Where you sin and it's made God angry and he's just wanting to just pop you one. That's a lie. So any preacher that ever presents or anybody, God, that God's angry that he's judging New Orleans, or he's, he's sending you know a hurricane to straighten them out, or he's drowning a few hundred people in Houston, Texas, just to get their attention is a liar. And they're lying about my father. Either Jesus took away the sin of the world, or he didn't. God is not a mafia boss. He is not the Godfather. He is God the Father. He don't drown people to get people's attention. He don't break legs, hurt people, hurt kids. Make you suffer. Jesus suffered so you don't have to suffer. Jesus died so you don't have to die. Jesus bore the penalty so you don't have to bear the penalty. Jesus bore the price so you can't pay the price. I had to look at somebody this week. I said, I want to to make one thing clear to you. Something happened, caused some hurt physically to a person. And I said, I want you to just be clear on one thing. God didn't do this, nor did He allow this. God don't hurt kids to get your attention. And I looked, and I said, "You believe that?" He said, "Well, I kind of felt maybe that, you know, for a minute there that this happened because my Lord my took His hand off." <laughs> I said, "God will never take His hand off." They ain't nothing or force powerful enough to pull his hand off. Stop believing the lies of the devil about the bad things that happen in your life where they blame God for it. That's Satan's oldest trick in the book. Why does bad thing happen? I'll get to that. Keep coming. Keep preaching preach it all in one Sunday. But so this is, this is the story. God forgave all the world of sin. And since Jesus died on the cross, he's not angry anymore. Does that mean we can sin willy nilly? Only if you're stupid. Don't do sin. It's stupid. It hurts you and it hurts people. Don't do it. God's not for it, but God's not mad. God doesn't have any disillusions about you, He doesn't have any illusions. He knew what you were going to do every day of your life before you was ever born. God don't want you to sin. That's why he came. But then he said, sin not. But if any man does sin, he has an advocate. He has an attorney. He has a go-between. Jesus Christ is the advocate. I thought we have to confess them one by one. I know you do, and I know you think you got one verse in the whole New Testament, but that ain't what it says. God saying in that one verse that if, if, you, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Christian people are not unrighteous ever. They've been made righteous and gifted their righteousness. So that verse is absolutely clear as day that he is talking to sinners and he's talking to people that are deceivers who say that there is no such thing as sin and we've never committed sin. God says, you make me out a liar because I sent my son because of sin. And if you'll just agree with me that there is this thing called sin and you will confess that there is and agree with me about that sin, then I will forgive you of all sin and, and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and you'll be my kid. That's what that verse says. It ain't saying for you to run down a tick list and every sin one by one, you have to confess them. And if you miss one, you go to hell, don't pass go and you don't collect heaven. This ain't monopoly. No, Jesus did it. And you put all your faith in him and you put all your trust in him. And so this is it. And this is what blows people's mind. And I'm, 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 this is it. Listen, everybody running up down the road, everybody in the world, listen, Everybody right now, God has forgiven them. As far as God's concerned, he's reconciled their sin problem. Now, the church wants to talk to people about the sin problem because they think that's their problem. Sin is not their problem. The sinning that they're doing, they're thugging, they're mugging, they're adulterating, they're fornicating and all. all, That's not their problem. It ain't like if you stop doing all that, you'd be all right. No, you won't be all right. Because that is not your problem. That's not your problem, baby. Your problem is what you don't believe and you've not trusted in this God who will gift you his righteousness, will gift you his spirit, will gift you his holiness. And he will gift you your identity in him and then you live out of that. And I promise you, you will sin less once you know the truth. And sin won't be near as tempting because you know you are so loved by God. So you telling me, brother Dale, everybody run up down the road and they're doing you know they already forgiven? Absolutely, that's what I'm telling you. That's what the Bible tells you. God was in Christ; He reconciled the sin of the world. That includes theirs. Well, why then he says this? He said it's like God's in us, and we are beseeching you be reconciled to God because God's already reconciled your sin to Himself. Be reconciled to God. How do you get reconciled to God? Believe in his son. Believe in his son. I thought we got saved by, con- There's no, that's not in the Bible, not in New Testament at all. How is a person saved? Believing in his son. Putting your confidence, faith, and trust in him. Believing in his son. You get a new identity. You get a new heart. You get born again. And then you live out of that. And you're learning to live out of the Christ-likeness that was gifted to you in your spirit. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what it is. And so when I see people now, I see them in a totally different way. Everybody going up and down the road, I'm like, dude, man, if you just knew God ain't mad with you, all the trouble. Go- now, you there's consequences. I'll preach that in a few Sundays if you want me to. Sin or consequences. I remember when uh, my wife's family, we went to a town in... Uh, New Mexico, out there they call it T or C. You know what's the town's name? Truth of Consequences. Anybody ever heard of it? You Google it and see if it ain't in there. I've been there. They just call it T or C. Truth of Consequences. I think they named it that, changed the name of it because the guy that had that show, y'all remember the show, you too young. There was a show on the TV called Truth of Consequences. Remember that? That's just for us old people. Y'all Google that too, it was real. And the guy that hosted that show. That's where he come from. That's why they named it that. Put him on the map. I've been there. Truth or consequences. That'd be a good sermon title. You believe the truth and you get in alignment with truth or you, you suffer the consequences. But don't ever kid yourself it's not God doing it to you. It's like It's, it's like that, that eye is real hot. That's the truth. And if you put your hand on it, it's going to hurt you. I don't believe that. Well, go on, take ahead, head, touch it. <laughs> God's trying to teach me a lesson. God burned my hands trying to get my attention. God didn't do none of that. It's just because you don't obey the truth. You, didn't, you heard the truth, you didn't believe the truth. I don't believe in gravity. Well, I jump off a building. <laughs> you get a Christian and you get a sinner and they both jump off at the same time of a three-story building, they both going to hit the ground about the same time. But God's not doing it to you. Last one. I get tired of people using this verse. You know, Brother Dale, the Bible said, God calls it to rain on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets some rain in their life every now and then. I should have quit five minutes ago, man. (laughs) This is, anyway. Do you know when that verse, if you read that verse in its context, rain, I don't know if you've ever been through a drought, but rain is one of the best things that ever happened to you. And and the rain depicted in that verse is not you having a bad time. God says I pour out that good rain which is life, I pour it out on the just and I pour it out on the unjust. I pour it out on the Christians and I pour it out on the unbelievers. I pour it out on the saints and I pour it out on the sinners. I don't hold back my goodness, I don't hold back my grace, I don't hold back my blessings I don't hold back my kindness I don't hold back my mercy I pour it out on everybody. the Grace of God has appeared unto all men. God has poured His grace out. God has demonstrated His grace. Jesus come to show us that grace. Amen. Glory to God. Stand up, if you ain't already. How are you sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I was feeling like Pentecostal there or something for a little bit. <laughs> Man, God does, he calls it to rain on the just and the unjust. Man, you be out there just, God, I can't believe how good you are raining on, I don't deserve none of this rain, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve none of these blessings. Thank you for the rain, Lord. (laughs) You know, we just went through a little drought down here, right, in South Georgia. We went through a little drought here a few weeks ago. Anybody besides me start praying for rain during that time? I did. You're seeing your stuff drying up, dying, and grass dying and stuff. and It's amazing. You think, you know, how hard it is to mow it. We just want it to die and be done with it, but we don't. We want it, you know. But I just started saying, Lord, you said in your word, for pray for rain in the time of rain. I said, Papa, it's time for rain. So I call for the rain to come. And I say, rain come and rain upon our land. Because, God, you said in your word that you cause it to rain on the just and the unjust. So I call for your rain to come, for your blessings that you are pouring out on us to be seen for what they are, your goodness and kindness, grace and mercy. I pray for this congregation today and for their families, for those that are here and not here. I pray that they would come into the revelation of the truth, that you're a God who doesn't just give love but who is love. And you're a God that unconditionally, unreservedly loves us. And we can't even begin to love you until we first know that you love us. For you said it so clear that you poured out your love on us. For we love him, your word says, because he first loved us. Thank you, Papa, for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Thank you for loving us while we were sinners. Thank you for loving us while we're saints. Thank you for loving us when we've been religious. Thank you for loving us when we've been prodigals and we've built ourselves the biggest old stinking pig pen that we could build by our bad decisions. Thank you for seeing us come home and run and throw your arms around us smelly and all and kiss us on our neck and say, Welcome home, son. Welcome home. Here's your ring on your finger and here's a robe of righteousness and shoes for your feet. Let's have a party, son. I'm not going to rub it in your face. I just want you to come home to know my love. I loved you before you left and I loved you while you was gone and I loved you at your home. My love doesn't change. Oh, Father, help us to see that. Help us to accept that truth. In Jesus name, I'm asking my elders, my community group leaders to quickly come and their spouses, and we're up here just to show you that we're your leaders, we feel responsibility and privilege, and if you want prayer before you exit the building, then then it's our honor and privilege to, to pray with you and for you. and uh, we believe God's doing amazing things at Grace Point Church, and we know He is by His spirit, not because of us but because of him. But we want to be yielded to him and do what God would have us to do to show this community the grace of God. Grace point, because grace is the point, man. That's just not a slogan. That's our heart. That's the reason we changed the name of the church, not because we was running from anything, but because we wanted to emphasize the grace of God who is Jesus. The first time the word grace appears in your holy Bible, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Of the Lord. And I remember I preached that grace has eyes because grace is a person and His name is Jesus. He came full of grace, full of truth. And the truth is, God loves you and ain't nothing you can do about it. He don't need your permission to love you, but He does need your permission for you to receive His goodness. And so you can enjoy that forgiveness. It's already been granted and you can experience that goodness. It's already been extended. Amen? That's all that happens to these people out here. They don't, they're not enjoying that forgiveness. Are they, are they forgiven? Yes. They don't know it. Most churches won't preach it. It'll tell them they have to confess it, and they base their forgiveness on what they do. But your forgiveness is based on what he did. They're not enjoying forgiveness and God's love and mercy. They're not enjoying and experiencing it, not because God's withholding it, because they haven't put their faith and believed in it. But as soon as they believe in it, immediately... They receive and experience that forgiveness. They experience that goodness, that grace and mercy. So if you're here today you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please accept him right where you stand. We'll we'll help you. We'll help you to just believe on him. Just come. We'll pray with you about anything. God bless you, buddy. Anybody want prayer, you come. I'm going to dismiss Grace Point Church. Love you guys, man, so much. Go have a wonderful day today. If you want prayer, you come this way. Hug somebody's neck, shake their hand, tell them you'll see.